This morning, turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This morning, as we focus on sovereign consequences, Ephesians 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 6 again this morning. As you turn there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, again today we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And Lord, I pray today that if there's even one here that doesn't yet know you, I pray the Holy Spirit would convict them of sin and help them to recognize their greatest need is a need for salvation, a need for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're going to rejoice in the work that you do in our midst today. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who do have this relationship with you, Lord, that we will recognize today from these passages, uh, from this verse, Lord, what it means, what the consequences of, of what you've done for us, what that means in our life in the here and the now. Lord, it's an amazing thing to be your child. Lord, I know I'm a very weak vessel. Lord, I've been behind the cross that only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, let's begin looking at verse 3. We'll go through verse 6 again today. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You may be seated. This morning is actually our third week, uh, just looking at these particular verses. And as we discovered when we began this study, Paul here is praising the Lord. He's praising the Lord. In fact, as an anthem of praise that's running through all of our through verse 14. And in these first four verses, Paul praises God the Father for his sovereign work in salvation. And so Paul points us in verse 3 uh, to sovereign blessings. God is so good to us, his people. He's so very good to us. And since he is a good God, he has good thoughts towards those that he loves. And his good thoughts towards the redeemed manifest themselves in blessings or good gifts to his children. In other words, all spiritual blessings. He has given us absolutely everything. And then in verse 4, Paul tells us of his God's sovereign choice. And we saw this verse drew us into some very deep spiritual waters last week. But we found out that our salvation was not an accident. It was part of God's eternal plan that he laid out before the foundations of the world were laid. He loved us in spite of our lost and sinful condition. And he saved us by his amazing, marvelous, incomparable grace. And as we move into verses 5 and 6, Paul points us to some sovereign consequences. His love for us and his choice of us in salvation pr provides for us some powerful and eternal consequences. And I want to share those consequences with you this morning. First, we see there, as we finish up verse 4, the saints have been altered. The saints have been altered. God's purpose in election is to save some from sin and to redeem them by His grace. 
God's elective decree is eternal and it is unchangeable. And what God purposed in eternity past, we saw even last week, that he is now bringing to pass in time. And so every single person that he chose in Jesus before the foundation of the world will be saved and will join him in heaven someday. And while that is God's eternal purpose, his elective decree has consequences. Consequences in our world today. And so when a lost sinner is saved by the grace of God, that lost sinner is then forever altered by the salvation that God gives in Jesus Christ. We will never be the same. You see, this verse mentions two of those amazing consequences. First, we are altered in our practice. The verse says that after salvation, we should be holy. Holy. The word holy refers to a most holy thing. It brings to mind the holy things in the tabernacle and then later in the temple that were set aside for the exclusive use of the Lord. They were holy. When we are saved, we become saints of God. He, he tells us that there in verse 1. We become saints. We become a holy thing set apart for the master's use. And so now we all know that we, are, we all fall far short of, of what God would have us to be. Each and every day. None of us are perfect yet. We understand that in our practice. None of us are as holy as we should be. And we also know that none of us are as wicked as we used to be. And so in other words, if we are saved, there has been a change in our life. A drastic change. You have been set apart. And you have been commanded to live your life now under the will of God, our Father. And so he purchased us to himself when Jesus Christ died for us upon the cross of Calvary. And so now, now we are his. That is who we are. We belong to the Lord. He owns us in both body and in spirit. And if we are saved, we are his and we are not our own. And that means that we are not what we used to be. We have been radically and we have been fundamentally changed by the power of his spirit. But secondly, we are altered in our position. We are altered in our position. We are to be holy in our practice, but we are declared to be blameless in our position. The word translated blameless means without blemish, or faultless. And so it's the same word that would have been used to describe that perfect sacrificial animal that would have been brought for sacrifice. It had to be blameless. Now, we all know that we are not perfect. We know that. We all know that we still, from time to time, let it be known that we are still those who are, are sinners prone to failure and gross sin. We are saints, but we still live in a body that is affected by the sin of this world. And so while we may not be perfect in our day-to-day -day walk, the Lord sees us as he has made us through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so according to the Bible, when we came to Jesus for salvation, God justified us. 
He justified us. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 5, 9, he says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And I think many of you probably understand that that word justified is a judicial term. To render or to declare one to be just, righteous, or as he ought to be. Justified. And so when we were saved, God imputed that perfect righteousness to our account. And he declared us to be perfect in his sight. When God looks at you, he sees you as perfect. And how can that be? When God sees us as his redeemed children, he doesn't see a sinner fit for hell, you see. He sees now a saint who is worthy of heaven. He doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as he has made us in Jesus. You see, in Jesus we are complete. When God looks at you, he doesn't just see you. He sees his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be justified. And in Jesus, we are secure and we are headed for glory, not because of what we have done, but all because of the perfect finished work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary. But secondly, I want you to see there in the end of verse 4 and going into verse 5, and praise the Lord, the saints have been adopted. The saints have been adopted. Not only have the saints of God been altered by the power of grace in salvation, but we have also been adopted into God's family. How could you not amen that? Are you listening? Do you know who you used to be? You've been adopted into the family of God. These verses reveal several truths about this matter of our adoption into God's family. And the first is the results of our adoption. You see, the moment that we were saved, we were adopted into the family of God. The moment that, that, that you said yes to Jesus Christ, you became a child of God. Human adoption is a wonderful thing. When parents choose a, a child to adopt, they do so because they have found a child that they want to love and bless for the remainder of that child's life. And that is a wonderful thing. People have been adopting children for thousands of years, in fact. Adoption was quite common in the Roman world. And when a Roman citizen adopted a child, certain rules applied to that adoption that, that brought great benefit to the one who was being adopted. The word adoption means to place as a son. One who was not not a son, one who had no relation, is now brought into the family as a son. And so the picture of adoption is a picture of what God does to the repentant sinner. In the ancient world, the family was based on the Roman law called the father's power. And the law gave the father absolute authority over his children. So long as that father lived, he had authority. He could work enslave, sell, and if he wished, he could pronounce a death sentence upon that child. Regardless of the child's adult age, the father held all power over the personal and property rights of the child. And so therefore, adoption was a very serious matter. 
and yet it was a common practice to ensure that a family would not become extinct by having no male children. And so when a child was adopted, three legal steps were taken. The first, the adopted son was adopted permanently. You hear me? He was adopted permanently. He could not be adopted today and then disinherited tomorrow. He became a son of the Father forever. He was eternally secure in his sonship. He would always be a son, no matter what. Secondly, the adopted son immediately had the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. Legally speaking, there was no distinction. Complete rights of a son. And then thirdly, the adopted son completely lost all rights to his old family. The adopted son was looked upon as a new person now. And so, so this meant that he became so new that the old debts and obligations that were connected with that former family were canceled out and abolished as if they had never even existed Legally speaking, this was a new person. And this is what happens when we come to Christ for salvation. We were instantly adopted into the family of God and became, as the text says, children of God. We were removed from our old family and we were placed in Jesus. We were removed from the death and the darkness of our past and we were reborn then into a family and and the kingdom of God. And so now in Jesus Christ... We are sons of God. You are royalty this morning in Christ. And that will remain our standing throughout all of eternity. But secondly, we see the road to our adoption. Look at verse 5. It says that God predestined us unto the adoption of children. Now that word predestinated bothers a lot of people. It bothers them. And it it should not. It shouldn't cause us any concern. On the contrary, it should actually fill our hearts with praise this morning. The word means to foreordain, to decide beforehand, to predetermine. And so election has to do with God's choice of son for salvation in eternity past. That God chose to come after us. Predestination has to do with God's work in in time to bring us to faith in Christ. Election determined who would be saved, but predestination determined that all those who would be saved would be adopted into the family as his children. The ultimate goal of predestination is God's taking lost sinners, saving them by his grace, and making them like his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that God would not be satisfied. He wouldn't be satisfied until he had surrounded himself with sons and with daughters. It seems that God would not be satisfied until he had filled his family with a redeemed people who had been conformed to the image of his darling son. It seems that God would not be satisfied until he had claimed for his son then a perfect, holy, and redeemed bride in whom he has no spot or blemish. And so God was at work before you were born to see to it that you would cross paths with the gospel at precisely the moment when you would be ready to hear it, repent of your sin and embrace Jesus Christ for your salvation. And so every event in our lives up to the moment of our salvation 
was God working to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. And so every hurt and every heartbreak and every move and every miracle and every valley and every victory and every broken promise and every shattered dream and everything that took place in life was God placing us sovereignly, precisely, perfectly so that we would hear the gospel, believe on Jesus, be saved by grace, and become a child of God. Thank God for bringing us to Jesus because we would never have done it on our own. But also we see the realm of our adoption. The only place adoption could occur, the only place was in Jesus Christ. When the son gave his life to redeem his bride from her bondage and sin, the door was open for us to be adopted by the father. Salvation is possible only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us at Calvary. The death of Jesus on the cross made our adoption by the Father a reality when nothing else could have. But then we also see the reason for our adoption. The reasons for our adoption. The reasons for our adoption as sons are are actually twofold here. The first, God predestined us to be adopted children in love according to verse 4. God loved us and because he set his love on us, he redeemed us and he placed us in his family. And now I'll be the first to admit that that I can't fathom that kind of love. I can't fathom the love of God. It's so amazing. It's so beyond our comprehension. It's hard for us to truly understand it. How he can infinitely be a holy God and love such vile creatures as us, knowing the sin in our lives, knowing the things that go on in this world, and that he would love us to the degree to allow his son to die for us. And yet the Bible clearly tells us that that is what he does. In fact, his love for us was so great that he was willing to to lay down his life, that Jesus was willing to, to, to freely lay down his life for us at the cross of Calvary. Even when we were trapped in darkness and deadness of our sins, God Almighty loved us with an overwhelming love. We are His because He loved us, period. We are His because He loved us and came after us when we would not come after Him. But the second reason for our adoption has to do with the good pleasure of His will. See, God chose us. He redeemed us and he adopted us for no other reason than it pleased him to do so. It pleased him to do so. There was and is nothing in any of us that would cause God to set his grace upon us. God didn't look at you. God didn't look at me and say, they've got the one thing that I'm lacking and I've just got to have them. No, it's nothing within us. He did everything. He did it for us in spite of who we are. And so thank God that he did everything he did just because it brought him pleasure. He did what he did because doing it the way he did it brought him the most glory. He did what he did because he loved us. But then lastly, I want you to look at verse 6. And we see the saints have been accepted. We have already touched on this, in fact, but God has accepted us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when God saved us, he justified us, declaring us holy and adopted as his children. This verse adds to that thought. You see, first we see the place of our acceptance. The verse says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. And so this simply means that 
it is a relationship with Jesus that makes the person accepted in the Lord God. God will never accept anyone on his or her own merits. The best that we as fallen humans can produce within ourselves is wretched and dirty in the eyes of the Lord. And so apart from Jesus, all of our efforts at religion and holiness are sinful abominations to the Lord. You cannot save yourself. But when a lost soul comes to Jesus by faith, that lost sinner is is forgiven of sin, adopted into the family of God, and accepted by the Father in heaven. Jesus and Jesus alone makes the difference between a life that is lost in the eyes of God and one that is saved. And so John puts it this way in in 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There are many other verses that speak to that truth as well. John 1, 12. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so the, the question for us this morning is, are you in the Son? Are you in the Son? That's the, be, that's the most important question you could be, ever be asked. Have you believed on Jesus Christ and on Him alone for salvation? If so, then you should rejoice because you are in the Son. But if not, you should come to Jesus. Right now, before I get done preaching, you should come because it's the most important decision that you can make. You should come and you should call on him for salvation. The place and the only place for our acceptance is in the Son, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then also we see the purpose of our acceptance. Why did God do this for us? Why did he set his love on us? Why did he want us to be his children? Why did he choose us? Why did he send Jesus to die for us? Why did God do all these things for the likes of of sinners like us. Why? He did it for the praise of the glory of his grace. Above all, God elects, saves, converts, keeps, and blesses his own glo- for his own glory. That's why he does it. And Paul would say it like this, Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. There is no other explanation Than for his good pleasure. God does everything he does for his own glory. If you look at creation, everything exists for the glory of the Lord. Everything does his will and brings him glory. The beasts of the field glorify the Lord according to Isaiah 43, 20. We see the heavens above declare his glory in Psalm 19, verse 1. The only rebels in God's universe are fallen angels and fallen men. And everything else glorifies and honors God. The fallen angels have already been condemned to judgment. They are hopeless. Hopeless in their lostness forever. And fallen men who will not repent of sin and turn to Jesus for salvation will join those fallen angels in the flames of hell 
where they will endure God's eternal wrath. But before this world was formed, God chose a body for his son. God chose to redeem some from sin so that he might be glorified through their salvation. God so worked out his plan that no one would be able to take credit for what he had done. God did his choosing, God did the saving, God did the converting, and God does the keeping forever. So those that he has redeemed by grace live for him in this world, bringing him glory and honor to his name. And that's why God completed the plan of salvation before he ever created the world. He had completed that. He did so that no man might claim the glory that belongs to him and to him alone. And so if we had a part in our salvation, we would brag about it. We would brag about what we did, and that's what many men try to do today. They try to brag about what they've done in salvation. They did nothing. Since we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have no grounds from which to boast. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, blind sinners on the way to hell when he called us to come to Jesus. And when, he, when, when we came, he gave us the faith to believe, and he saved us by his grace, and now we are in him. And we are eternally saved and kept by his power. We can do nothing but lift our hands and our voices to him and praise him for what he has done for us in salvation, for what he has completed in us. Thus we should live every moment of our lives for his glory, for he has saved us. He owns us. He, he owns our hearts. He owns our souls. We are his. Our lives should be committed to praising him. So let me ask you again this morning, are you saved? Are you saved? Has God and his sovereign power come to where you were, calling you to Jesus and saving your soul? Has he done that? Has he spoken to your heart? Has, has he called your name? Do you understand that, that you have what you have in Jesus simply because he got glory and received pleasure from your salvation? That's the only reason that you are saved this morning, if you are. Don't you think that you should humble yourself before him and thank him for that grace that he has shown to you in salvation today? Don't you think you should give him the glory for it? Don't you think we should lift up our voices? Don't you think that we should live every moment for his praise and for his glory? But again, this morning, if you've never done that, if you recognize that God is speaking your name this morning, come, why put it off? When you know the Lord is calling you, why would you ever say, no, I'm not going to do it today, I'm going to put it off for another day? What foolishness. Come to him today. Be saved. Maybe you know the Lord's calling you to come to this place, Brinesburg Baptist Church, and make this your church home and begin to, to, to do what God's called you to do here, to glorify his name through, through ministry and, and missions and service here. Maybe, maybe you know that he's called you to do that this morning, or maybe you just need to come again to this altar and praise him and thank him for what he's done in your heart and in your life. How's the Lord speaking to your heart? Will you be obedient? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you again today. Lord, we rejoice in Courtney's baptism this morning and that beautiful picture of what you did in her heart and life a couple weeks ago when she was saved. And Lord, so thankful for all those who come and give that beautiful picture of a believer's baptism. But Lord, we recognize even today there are others that need to make that same decision, that need to recognize that you are calling their name and that they desperately need to be saved. Lord, if if, if there's one who hears, hears my voice even now, Lord, touch their heart in such a way where they can't stay in that pew, that they can't distract themselves by doing other things, but they would have to come today 
that, that they can think of nothing else other than coming to you. Others I know need to come and be part of this church family, help them to take that step this morning. Whatever it is, whatever that step of obedience is, Lord, help us to take it to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.